0: and changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 5. As you turn to John 5, I want you to think about a simple, a simple question, but I think a question that's, of course, important and maybe not so simple as this question seems, and the question is... Who is Jesus Christ, and what was he like? And do we really know the Jesus that we claim to follow? I mean, do we really do we really know him? And I think it's a it's a good question and an honest question because the truth is, if we were to get into a time machine. And go back and be dropped off in Jesus' day, in Jesus' town, the towns he traveled around in. It would be so different than anything we are used to, right? I mean, we can't even imagine. I, I don't think we can even fathom the fact that Jesus lived over 2,000 years ago, right? And the fact that he lived in a foreign land, spoke a foreign language to us, had all these different cultures and things in their culture that's so different. They didn't have electricity, obviously, cars, cars. Internet, phones, screens, and, and such a different time that Jesus lived in than what we live in, right? That's kind of obvious, but yeah. And so do we know him? And, and here's what I want you to know is, yes, we can and do know Christ through the revelation of himself through his word. And so as we read, especially a passage like today in John 5, we see this, this continued understanding of who Jesus Christ is and I would say as we begin this morning there's no greater question for you to ask or to think on this morning than who is Jesus and what does he mean to me and so last week we looked at the first 15 verses of John 5 and we talked about this man who was invalid and he was invalid for 38 years Jesus went to this town of Bethesda saw this man and healed him you remember that do this if you remember this last week some of y'all can't remember yesterday I know but if you remember last week he healed this man the man was healed the man got up he took up his bed and walked and these Jewish leaders saw it and were they excited for the man who was healed were they happy that 38 years of suffering was over no they thought what he broke a Sabbath law and as Jason told us last week it was a law that they had added to the Sabbath laws but So then they found out Jesus was the one who had healed him. And so they took their attention off this man and they put their attention on Jesus. And that's where we'll turn today in John 5, verses 16 through 29. If you found verse 16, say word. And therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him or kill him? because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he was not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do for what things soever he doeth these also doeth the son likewise, for the son loveth I mean excuse me, for the Father loveth the son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, and even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but he is passed from death. Unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We'll stop there this morning. As I studied this text, I know, noted that from John 5 all the way to the cross, These Jewish leaders hate Jesus, and that eventually leads to the cross. And so we're going to see why here, two reasons that these Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. The first one is this. They were mad at Jesus, claiming that he broke the Sabbath. We see that in verses 16 through 18. If you'll look there again with me. Verse 16, therefore they did persecute him and sought to slay him because he had done these things, this healing on the Sabbath. Again in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. So we understand, and I think most of us in this room understand what the Sabbath is. It's a word that means to rest. And back in Genesis chapter 2, we know that God took six days to create the heavens and the earth. And what did God do on the seventh day? Rested. Did God need to rest? Was God tired? Of course not. He, he, I think he did that to maybe to set an example for us, but, but he didn't need to rest, but he did. He sat back and, and looked at the creation, the very good and beautiful creation he had made. And so God rested, setting this pattern of a Sabbath, of a rest. And so in Exodus chapter 20, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And so taking scriptures like those two and then other scriptures, we can see that the Sabbath day for the Jewish people is the seventh day of the week, which for them is, you know, Saturday. And they were to rest and remember all that God had done in his creation. Let me ask you this, church, if you know your Old Testament. Was the Sabbath day important for the people of Israel? Was Was it important to God? It was so important. They were told many times there are certain things you can't do. I mean, you've got to, you can't, I was reading some Old Testament verses like you can't light a fire. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then I found several texts that said this. If you broke the Sabbath, you could be put to death. (laughs) It's pretty serious. Like, that's a pretty serious law if you can be put to death for breaking it. And so we understand that these, in Jesus' day, the people that Jesus is talking to, these Jewish leaders that are accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, they take the Sabbath very seriously. But as we saw last week, heard last week, they added to the laws of God. And they were taking it too far. I want to mention this, and I think we'll discuss this more on Wednesday night, but we understand that we don't worship on the quote-unquote Sabbath, right? We don't worship on Saturday. Uh, We, following a New Testament pattern, we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's a pattern we see in the early church. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. He appeared many times on the first day of the week in the New Testament uh, to, to, pe- to believers after his resurrection. And so we take the first day of the week and we, we oftentimes rest, but we also worship and celebrate our Lord. And so just, well, again, this will be a Wednesday night discussion, but we're also tempted, I think, like these Jewish people to maybe make a Sunday too legalistic, too ritual. But at the, at the same time, sometimes we're too loose with Sunday as well not taking it as serious as we should. But we'll talk about that later in the week. And what, what I want you to see here is that in Jesus' day, it was serious. These guys weren't just haphazardly making accusations toward Jesus. They thought they were 100% right in accusing Jesus of breaking God's law. They thought they were right. Notice how he responds in verse 17. I love verse 17. Love it. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Those verbs there, worketh and work, are I-N-G words. My father is working, and I am working. To me, it's like Jesus is telling him, you know what? My father created this world, and I was there, and the Holy Spirit was there. We created this world, and, and God made it perfect and holy and good, but sin came in through Adam's fall and corrupted the perfect world God had created. And ever since then, it's like Jesus, can you put that verse back up there for me, verse 17? Leave that for me if you don't mind. It's like Jesus is saying there, ever since then, ever since that fall, that when sin corrupted the world, the Father has been working out this plan of redemption to restore everything back to the way he intended it to be. And my father's been working out this plan through all of history, Jesus says. And as the father works, guess what? I work. I am working. So look at our text. What does that mean? I think it means this. Jesus is saying, I'm I'm about my father's business. When I healed this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, when I healed him, I'm doing the work of God. I'm involved in what God is doing because I am the son of God. And not only am I healing people physically, but that is a picture that I will one day heal everyone, all my followers, in eternity. Look at this verse. Do you believe God works until now? Do you believe, church, that God is working now? We are not deists. Deists believe when you're growing up, do you have those toys that you get, those wind-up toys? I remember the little monkey that like had the symbols. Do you have that toy? I guess we're old. But you wind it up, you'd set it down, and it would just go, right? And as a kid, you just sit there and watch it. That's all the toys we had back in the day. That's boring. No wonder we stayed outside. But deists believe God wound up this world, set it down, and let it go. And He's just watching it go. Let's see what happens. I think there are a lot of. By the way, people that claim to be Christians or claim to be Baptists who, who believe God acts like that. Like, God's just kind of sitting back watching, seeing what's going on. This verse says the Father is working. He is actively involved in this world. In every single one of our lives, the Father is actively involved. In every single situation going on, he is actively involved in it. This is the God we serve, a sovereign providential God who's working all things for our good and for his glory. And so I love verse 17 because Jesus could have just said, you know what, you guys are right. I, sh- I shouldn't have done that on the Sabbath. Maybe I maybe I was wrong, but no. Jesus says no. He says, and he doubles down and says, my father's working, I'm working. And so they wanted to kill him. Look at the second reason, and this will be the, Again, there's only two reasons. The first one is they claimed he broke the Sabbath. The second one is he claimed to be God. They claimed he broke the Sabbath, number one. Number two, he claimed to be God. Now, we understand the Trinity. I hope we understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this is not a sermon on the Trinity, but this text, verses 18 and following, give us this picture of the Father and the Son and their relationship and the unity between the the Godhead, the Trinity. So look with me at verse 19. It says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. So whatever he sees the Father do, he does. It's kind of like Father, like Son, right? How many of you have kids that act like you? Might act like their mother, so that explains a lot. Happy Mother's Day. But Jesus says there, look at it again, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. I, I wonder, I don't know this, I wonder as Jesus grew up and maybe learned some carpentry from his father, do you think he, he watched his father and copied what he did to, to build stuff? I don't know, I'm just wondering there. I think most of us grew up watching a parent and, and Copying them as we learn. But Jesus, the Son of God, says, I'll do what the Father does. Verse 20 goes on to say, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So the Father created the world, but guess what? The Son was a part of that creation. The Father works, so does the Son. Jesus is saying something they will understand here when he said, he's saying, I'm God. I am God. And if you think, now look at this verse, he says he will show him greater works than these. I can just picture Jesus saying, if you think me healing this, this invalid man was a big deal, just wait what's next. <laughs> just wait what you're going to see. And you're going to marvel, you're going to be amazed and astonished at what I'm going to do because I am God, I am not limited like you and and like just humans. I am the son of God. I'm going to show you greater things than these and you're going to be amazed. Not only amazed, but we know they were angered. As I look at verses 21 and following, I, I find four specific truths about the deity of Christ, the godness of Christ. And I want to give you these four truths as we work through these, these verses. First, notice that Jesus has divine power to give life. Verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, or makes them alive, even so the Son quickeneth, or makes alive, gives life to whom he will. Notice the last few words there. Who does the Son give life to? To whom he will. Again, we see here the the power of Christ, the the divinity of Christ, sovereignty of Christ in giving life to whom he will. Is Jesus and was Jesus dependent on anyone else to give life to someone else? No. And as a matter of fact, six chapters from now, Jesus is going to walk up to a tomb. Where a dead man lies. In just six short chapters. And Jesus is going to say come forth. And this man who laid there dead is going to wake up from the dead. Come alive from the dead. He's going to be quickened. And he's going to get up and he's going to come out of the tomb and be like what is going on? And that's Lazarus. And Jesus is going to prove the very things he's saying here to these leaders. And to others. Only God can give life, and I, Jesus says, am he. Jesus is the life-giving, life-changing, life-restoring, life-sanctifying, life-completing Son of God, the divine life-giver. Number two, notice that Jesus has divine authority to judge. I thought this was interesting. Look at verses 22 and 23. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So number two, Jesus has divine authority to judge. As I look at verse 22, it says the father does not judge, and I don't, I don't take that to mean that the father is never involved on any level with judging. I don't think that's what that means, but it does mean the father has set up a way by which he judges. I was asking Jesse this as a teacher. Teachers use a rubric. You know what a rubric is? Some of you are familiar with that. A rubric is a tool they use in education that shows a student... Here's exactly what you need to do to pass or to to make the best grade possible. It's this rubric, it's this guide. And I would say Jesus, according to the Father, Jesus is the guide by which God judges people. Jesus is the dividing line, the criteria. The Father judges through the Son. Let me me give you an illustration and see if this makes sense. I want you to imagine this hand I'm holding up, this hand is us. This is people, okay? And I want you to imagine that my face, looking at my hand, my eyes, this is the, the eyes of the Father looking on his people. Does that make sense? So the Father looking at the people, okay? Now, the Father does not just judge just by looking straight at us. Instead, these verses tell us that there's a lens through which Christ, through which God views us, and that lens is Christ. So this hand will be Christ in this illustration. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't just look at us like this. He looks at us through the lens of Christ. All of us. And how we respond to Christ is how the Father will judge us in Christ or through Christ. Right? And so that verse says that whoever honors the Son honors the Father. And whoever dishonors the Son, dishonors the Father. Now I would say to you, this is the way God will judge every single person. How they respond to Christ. That's probably okay to say in this room, but to most of this world, that's an offensive thing to say. What I'm telling you is, the only way to know God, the only way to have forgiveness of sin, the only way to heaven... Is through Christ, Jesus, right? There's one way. And again, we're maybe a little sheltered. We're in the Bible Belt. We're around Christians a good bit. But for most of this world, that is an offensive statement to say. And as we live longer into this world, saying Jesus is the only way to God is going to grow more and more offensive. We must honor the Son, these verses say. Will will the Father judge you in a way that you'll be pleased with or a way that you'll be happy with? Well, how do you respond to the Son? I mean, it doesn't matter, by the way, if, if it's an atheist, an agnostic, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu. It doesn't matter if it's a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl. Jesus The Father looks and says, do you honor the Son or not? And that's how you have that satisfaction of the wrath of the Father. If you honor Christ, you know God. If you don't honor Christ, you don't know God. Number three, notice in verse 24 that Jesus saves those who hear his word and believe. Jesus saves those who hear his word and believe. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. As you look at verse 24, does this verse say, if you hear my word and believe, you will one day have eternal life. This is a This idea of having eternal life there in the middle of verse 24 is something that happened in your life that is ongoing. He does not say that you will one day have eternal life. He says, if you hear my word and believe it, you have life even now. You have it. Why? Why will you not come into judgment if you honor the Son and trust in Christ because You've passed, verse 24 says, from death to life. Literally, that means someone who changed countries. They moved away, never to return. And we have passed spiritually from death unto life. Anytime we go to a funeral, there's, there's finality in that, isn't there? Like it's one of the reasons it's very sad, right, is that there's finality. You, you understand that you won't see that person again until eternity. Um, And, you know, in a different way, but, and so there's this finality to it. In the same way there is finality to an earthly death and a moving on, there is also finality in a spiritual death and life. And if Christ has saved you, your eternity is set. If you are truly a believer, your eternity is set. Why will we not come into condemnation? It says it there, we shall not come into condemnation. Why will we not come into condemnation? Because Jesus took our condemnation. He took the sin we deserved. He bore our sin upon the tree. He was wounded for our transgressions. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who've passed from death to life in Jesus Christ. Lastly, the fourth thing about Christ being God in verses 25 through 29, Jesus will resurrect everyone on the last day. Jesus will resurrect everyone on the last day. Verse 25. I love this verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is... Excuse me, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So much in this verse. Verse 26, 27 kind of repeats things we've already talked about. Jesus continues to drive the point home that he is a life giver. But in, in these verses, specifically verse 25, we see that Jesus will raise all the dead, he'll do it with his voice. The voice of God is more powerful than anything we can imagine. Jesus said, God said, let there be light, and there was, right? He built creation through his word. uh, Hebrews says, the universe is being held together by the power of his word. If God, for one second, for one moment, decided to step back, this entire universe would collapse. But as we saw, he is actively involved. Look at verse 29 with me. It says, one day, He'll call all from their graves, and they'll come forth. And they that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation or condemnation. Now, does verse 29 mean people are saved by good works? Of course not. But it does mean that when Christ raises us and we stand before him in judgment, it means that we are justified by faith. But that faith will produce good works, right? The works in our lives are the evidence of the faith God's given us. And a lack of works or works of evil are an evidence that we did not have faith in Christ. To me, these verses are so interesting because they speak to eternity. They speak to now, but also to to eternity. And to understand that one day we will be raised from the dead. Our bodies, though buried here, will be raised and raised for a time of judgment with the Lord. Anytime I read these verses, specific, specifically verse 25, I always think about the topic of burial versus cremation. Have you ever had that discussion with maybe family or church? Um, but look back at verse 25, and because it talks about the voice of Christ, The dead shall hear the voice and shall live. And I was actually not even meaning to speak on this, and then I saw it. I read an article Monday, this past Monday. I thought this was interesting. It said in the year 2000, 26% of Americans chose to be cremated. In the year 2000, just 22 years ago, 26% of Americans chose to be cremated. In the year 2020... 56% of Americans were cremated. Did did that number have something to do with the pandemic? Maybe so. These people doing the study project by the year 2040 that over 80% of Americans will choose to be cremated instead of buried. Now, we might discuss, we will discuss this Wednesday night. I'm not here to debate that topic. I think that's a personal matter and a family matter won't matter to me, honestly, because I'll be gone when I die. But but, I like the idea of burial because it, it's this picture of, you know, buried to rise again. It's a picture kind of like a baptism is, you know. So, But we'll discuss that. But here's the point. When the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, they that hear will rise up. It doesn't matter if you've been buried or cremated or blown up in a war, or your body is dissolved at the bottom of the ocean, or whatever has happened to your physical body, when Jesus comes back and his voice says, whatever it says, get up, rise up, every body, every body of every body will rise up. Try to say that. Why is that important? The voice of the Son of God is all-powerful. And when he says, get up, all the, the, I keep using this word, all the bodies are going to rise up. And they're going to go to one of two judgments, a judgment of life or a judgment of condemnation. And that judgment will be based on how you honored, did you know, did you trust, did you believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ? And those who did not put their faith in Christ will go to that judgment of condemnation. Condemnation. But church, I think about when we rise and we who know Christ, not us not being perfect, us being so flawed, but looking in the face of the one who was sinless and bore our sin for us. Looking in his face knowing that it was his powerful voice, life-giving voice that spoke to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and caused us to be born again, passing from death to life. The judge of all the earth will look on us one day to see if we were trusting, resting, and receiving in Christ. These Jewish leaders don't get it, and many of them never will here. But Jesus is saying, I'm God, and I'm a life-giver, and I'm powerful. And in this text, church, we see see the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I pray that you know the life-giving Son of God, Jesus Christ. Receive Him, trust Him, treasure Him. Let's pray.